Tuesday night, this last Tuesday night, uh, Jenny took the kids, uh, the girls to ballet, and she decided that she was going to wait in the parking lot during the hour ballet rehearsal. And so she left the key turned one notch and was listening to the radio, waiting for them to get done. And when they were done, they came out and scampered into the van. And when she went to start the van, it did the whole so she calls me and, of course, tells me this, and, and I'm thinking, I hope it's just the battery, right? I, I don't need it to be the alternator. So I, I grabbed some jumper cables, and, and off I went. Now, we got this van. It was new to us, uh, but it was used a few months ago. And when I popped the hood, lo and behold, in the uh, hood of the car is the original battery in a 2011 2011 Toyota Sienna. This battery had gone six plus years. Do you know what that is in human years? 120, 120. Okay, so I knew the next day I had to take action. We got it jumped. And so at seven o'clock in the morning, I showed up at Sam's Club. And I say to the lady, uh, need a battery. It's, I've got a 2011 Toyota Sienna, no problem. And she says to me, sir, it'll be a little while. Now, I've lived in Kentucky since 1992. I've heard every Southern expression that you can hear, and I learned something new this last week. So I say to her, okay, well, I've got a few things to pick up. Uh, and I slide the key across the counter, and I say, I'll, I'll be back in a little while. And she, she slides the key back to me, and she says, no, sir, it'll be a little while. And so I, uh, I have to ask questions. Do you mean an hour? Is this, I only have one person. I, there's an appointment. She's already started on the car that has an appointment. So five questions later, I figure out that what she means is, one o'clock in the afternoon is the first chance she's going to have to get to the car. It will be a little while. <laughs> I had no idea that a little while was six hours. No idea at all. Do you know that the language that we use about time is imprecise? In the middle of the night, Jenny shakes me. Max, Max, wake up, wake up. Huh? Huh? Wake up, did you hear that? Just now. What? You mean just now or like back then when I was asleep and wasn't hearing anything? Like, <laughs> you know, just now. If you ask a five-year-old when their mother is going to be done or get back, the five-year-old says, soon, soon. I remember when the kids were little and Jenny was talking after church and they would be pulling on her, pulling on her dress. Mom, I'm hungry. When are we going to leave? And she would say, Soon? When has soon ever meant less than 10 minutes? <laughs> now, lest you think I'm just picking on ladies, let's turn it around. Fellas, there are these projects around the house, right? You've been meaning to stain the deck, clean the windows. There's, you know, there's the dishwasher that the bottom needs cleaned out. And your wife says to you, when, you know, it's going to be a great weekend this week. When are you going to get to that? Soon? When has soon ever meant anything less than 24 hours, right? Okay, the language that we use is imprecise. Uh, there's other things that we say. One of these days, oh, one of these days, we're going to go to Italy. 
Are you saving for it? No. One of these days, one of these days. Uh, what's another one? Before long. Well, you know, before long, they'll be grown up. Never tell uh, parents of toddlers this. Oh, before you know it, it goes by in a blink of an eye. Last night felt like eternity getting them to bed. I don't want to hear that it's going to be a blink of an eye. Uh, any time now, okay? None of this stuff has any kind of precise meaning to it. It's why, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, they knew Jesus was coming back. He said, I'm going to come back. And so in the first century, well, when is Jesus coming back? Soon. That was 2,000 years ago. <laughs> Apparently soon is not less than 2,000 years. It is insane to me. We, the words that we use to describe time, I think, are by and large meaningless. On the one hand, time itself is a constant. But our experience of time, that's what varies. So the earth rotates on its axis, it takes 24 hours to rotate on its axis. It takes about 365 days to make it all the way around the sun. That does not change. If it does change, we're in for, a, you know, we're in a pickle, right? We need this to work constantly and consistently. But our experience of time, that varies, doesn't it? Uh, Disney World. You can be at Disney World, you decide, we're going to go in January when it's not so hot. So you're waiting in line at Splash Mountain, and it's only 88 degrees. <laughs> and 45 minutes later, you get to go on the ride, and you think, my goodness, that was a long wait. It was, took forever. And then you get on the ride, and you do the ride, and you get off. And you think, boy, that was fast. Why did I wait in line 45 minutes for that? Okay. Our perception of time varies. I, f I feel this way when I go to the doctor's office and I forget to bring something to read. I don't always have a screen with me. So when you're in the doctor's office waiting and you don't have a screen or something to read, it's forever. And when they call your name, I always feel like, well, I've been here long enough. Let's just go ahead and do the colonoscopy because a decade has passed waiting in the room, you know, okay? So regardless of your experience, whether it seems fast or seems slow, time marches on. It's another day. Today's Sunday. It's no longer Saturday. It's October. It's no longer September. It's fall. Bye-bye, summer. We hardly knew ye. And before we know it, blinky, blinky, it's going to be 2018. Can you believe it? 2018. My goodness. Time is not renewable. When it's gone, it's gone. You can't store it up for later. And you young people, when you're killing time, what are you doing? We're just killing time. It doesn't come back from the dead. <laughs> it's gone, okay? But here's something about you that you may not realize. You have a time that's associated with you. You do. You might think of it as an expiration date. So many years, so many months, so many days, so many minutes. Everybody's got a different number. Mine's not the same as yours. Everyone has one. You just don't know when or how yet. A hundred years from now, you'll be like, oh, it was on US 27. Or, oh, it was cancer, huh? I mean, you'll know, but you don't know now. You just know it's coming. And so I, in case you, you know, need some help, today's bottom line is really clear. Don't 
bank on tomorrow. Get busy living today. Don't bank on tomorrow. Get busy living today. All right? The fact of the matter is you have an expiration date, which is why people create bucket lists. Usually, they don't have a bucket list until they retire, until they get a certain age, or until a doctor gives them very bad news medically. And then all of a sudden, out comes the bucket list. And it's stuff that people want to do or see or experience or say to someone before they kick the bucket. So when it comes to you, I want you to be aware of the fact that you have an expiration date. I want you to think about it, I want you to reflect on it, and I want you to do something about it. And to do that, we're going to be in the Psalms today. Uh, the Psalms, if you're not familiar with this book of the Bible, the Psalms is nothing but raw emotion. Uh, it's got wonder in it. Oh, God, the oceans, the mountains are amazing. You're amazing. You're a creator. I mean, when I was in my mother's womb, you knew me. You knit me together. God, you're incredible. It's wonder. Uh, in the Psalms, you have despair. Oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? I am in a pit up to my neck. My enemies are about to snuff out my life. Hello, is this thing on? God, where are you? And then it's got joy. Oh, God, you vindicated me. Did you see the look on their faces when you vindicated me in front of my enemies? You're awesome. Raw, undiluted emotion. So if you're feeling emotional, Psalms is a great place to be. It, chances are it's going to channel with you along the way. Today, we're going to be in Psalm 90, and I want to read the entire Psalm. We're going to talk about some chunks of it, and then we're going to zoom in on one verse. Psalm 90. Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are just a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They're like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning, it blooms and flourishes, but by evening, it's dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger and we're overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. O oh Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see your work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. I want to focus on some verses here. The, the first section, verses three through six. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. And he goes on and talks about grass and the brevity of life. Life goes by in the blink of an eye. 
Now, young people do not believe this is true because when you're young, you, let's say you're 14, 16 years old, you've only got one-fifth of your life under your belt. Eight years is half your life. And it seems like life is taking forever. When am I ever gonna graduate from high school? When am I ever gonna get started in life? When am I ever gonna make my own decisions? Hello, mom and dad. Like, you feel this with great intensity. But older people, it's totally different. Older people are like, eight years, you mean we replaced that last thing in the kitchen? The dishwasher is 15 years old? No, we put the new dishwasher in two years ago. Blink. Nope, been longer than you think it has. Um, this week, after one of the ballet rehearsals, I was talking with uh, a ballet mom, and she turned 50 last year, and she's wigging out about this, okay? And so I, I just asked her, well, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? I know you had a big year. And, and she, she, she blurts this out. She goes, I kept thinking 50 was the halfway mark for me. And I was kind of like, you know, I was getting excited about it. And I, I was like, you know, I can do this. And she goes, I've come to realize that it's not really the halfway point. Like, most of my life is in the rearview mirror now. And I'm not sure I'm okay with that. And, and she has questions of legacy. Like, what's my legacy going to be? And what, what am I going to be remembered for? And so she's in a great place because the wheels are turning. And she's really contemplating life and who she is and how she lives. It goes by fast. Again, if you're young, you're like, this guy's nuts. But if you're old, you're like, oh, this guy's thinking the truth, <laughs> okay? And he says it right here. Our days may come to 70, 80 if our strength endures, right? Um, on the basis of skeletal remains in uh, Canaan during biblical times, 40% lived to adulthood. So 40% of all the babies born made it to live ages 20 and on. So six out of 10 kids, right? So forget the advent of birth control, right? In that context, it's good to have lots of spares, right? Because if you have 10, four of them are going to make it. Odds are being what they are. Here's the other amazing thing. Uh, again, from skeletal remains, we know so much about this time period. For, again, from the biblical time period of Canaan, only one out of 10 people made it past 50 years of age. One out of 10. So nine out of 10 people were gone by the time they turned 50, which is what this ballet mom turned last year. Now, it's different today. Today in America, we've got a life expectancy of what is it, 80 78.8 years. Now, that breaks down differently. If you're a man in the United States, your life expectancy is 76. If you're a lady, your life expectancy is 81. So what I've done in this chart is I've put me and some members of my family and then Matt. Matt, I guess that you were born in 1985. Did I guess right? Boom. Okay, so the blue is the used up part of your life expectancy. On my little bar here, I'm now north of 50% myself. What? <laughs> my mother is close, about 85%. My father-in-law, look at that little sliver. If he lives two more years, he will have achieved 101% of life expectancy. He'll be like the battery in that Sienna, you know? <laughs> I never thought it could happen. It happened. Look at that. Jillian, 
This is you. Look how much of life expectancy potential. Jillian's like, woo. (laughs) (laughs) Matt's not even at the halfway point yet. So some of you be like, well, that's kind of morbid there. Well, I'm numbering my days. It's a good thing. So I want to get into this. Verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. There are a couple of, couple of aspects of this. And the first is the teach us to number our days part. Help us to realize the brevity of life. Help us to realize that we, in fact, have an expiration date. George Carlin, who was a, a comedian of many, many years, he put it this way. He said, gang, ain't none of us getting out of this thing alive. And you know what? He's right. (laughs) Okay? Without God in the picture, this can be very despairing. Because at the end of all things, death takes everything. But see, with God, it's not that way. The second part of the verse, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom. When the Bible uses the word wisdom, it means something and not something else. When you see the word wisdom in the Bible, it doesn't have to do with knowledge. It's not about knowing stuff. Two plus two is four. That's not wisdom. Uh, Wisdom is not necessarily understanding either. In another psalm, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So reverence and respect for God is kind of a starting point for being wise. The Bible tells us, as you get into it, that that fear and abiding reverence for God turns into obedience. That eventually, because of what God has done for us and who God is and who we are, we obey. Not because you know, we're compelled to or God makes us to, but because we want to please God out of gratitude for what he's done for us. Uh, James talks about it. So obedience becomes fruit of wisdom. Uh, and so... In James, James tells us if any of us lack wisdom, ask God. He gives wisdom generously to those who ask. By the way, when I was young and when I was 19 years old for the, for, from age 19 to age 29, I prayed every day, God, make me wise beyond my years. And you know what? God answered that prayer. I remember at age 25, age 26, people telling me, boy, you're weird for a young man your age. You know stuff you shouldn't know for a young man your age. It was God helping me and giving me wisdom because I asked for it, all right? Teach us to number our days. I I don't know if you realize this about Jesus, but Jesus was one of the many people in biblical Canaan area, Palestine area, who didn't make it to age 40, right? His life was cut short. Most of his life was lived in obscurity. Most of what we know about Jesus is actually from his three years of public teaching and ministry. We know a little bit about his birth, and we know a snippet from when he was about 12 years old, but most of it was lived in obscurity, his teenage years, his young adult years. Um, But in the pages that we have, in the gospel accounts we have of Jesus' public ministry, we don't see him hurried once. He's not rushed He's not, oh, Jesus is never panicked or freaking out with tons of worry. He seemed to have lived life and lived life with purpose. 
Um, And I want to read this section of Luke, which really bears this out. And this is from Luke chapter uh, 22. And I'll just read it off the big screen. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at table. And he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I won't eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I won't drink it again until the, from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed. Jesus didn't need to have an expiration date. He wasn't a sinner like us, but he took on an expiration date so that the expiration date that applies to us doesn't have to be the final say. See, we await a resurrected life. He didn't stay in the tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and the Bible tells us that he's the first fruits. He's the indicator that what God has promised, he'll do. And say, so teach us to number our days so that we may grow in wisdom. Jesus, by the way, was full of wisdom. Let me ask some questions in light of this passage. What brings you life? What brings you life? What makes you come alive? Where and when do you come alive? What brings about death and destruction in your life, in your relationships, in your routines? If you had six months left, if you were told you had some kind of medical condition, what would you do or change? And why? There's a, there's a big power in why, all right? So I want to talk to two groups of people. First of all, I want to talk to you, the, those of you that are 14, 16, 20, 28 years old. You can sit through a message like this and go, doesn't apply to me. <laughs> Ding! My life is in full in front of me. Thank you very much, Max. That was a great reminder. Church was awesome today. Woohoo! Okay? You could look at it that way, but I want to give you some practical practical advice. The first of which is this. Young people, take risks. Take risks. Take risks. Steve Harvey calls this jumping. He says, for those of us that feel like we have a dream or a passion or God put something in us, there was a moment where we had to jump. And we didn't know what the outcome would be. We just jumped. Uh, 14 years ago, a group of us jumped with this church We launched Generations Community Church in a community in which every church plant that had been started over 10 years failed and died. This this, this community is known for being a church-eating community. All right, and here we are, 14, almost ready to drive. (laughs) Watch out, Nicholasville, okay? Uh, Maybe that's taking a backpacking trip. In Europe, maybe that's a gap year. Maybe that's applying to a program or an opportunity that in your head you keep saying to yourself, oh, I would never get accepted. Oh, that would never work. And you'd say this to yourself and so you don't take the risk because you don't want to face rejection. Take risks. Take risks. Because when you're older, 
When, when they've asked people over the age of 100, what do they regret? In the top five, I wish I had taken more risks. You don't want to get to a point and think to yourself, I wonder what would have happened if, right? And some of you feel like God's calling you to do things. This is the easiest thing to talk yourself out of. When I felt a call to ministry, I had lots of people in my life that were saying, well, let's be practical here, Max. You know, <laughs> ministry can be fraught with difficulties and you don't get paid that much and blah, blah, blah. And churches can eat up people. And why would you want to throw your life away with something like that, Right? So maybe you've got a God thing in you, okay? And here's the thing about risk. A lot of times when you jump and you take that risk, you may end up failing, but that's okay. You want to know why? You learn a lot more from failure than you do success. I don't go to church conferences anymore that are headlined by people who started a church and it became 10,000 people in two years and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can't learn. What can I learn from them? I want to learn from people who failed. Failure can teach you some amazing things that success cannot teach you, all right? Uh, our society isn't very good at this. Our, our society doesn't accommodate failure very much. Uh, I want you to know at Generations, this is a place where you can try things and fail. We've tried all kinds of things. Some of them have flown and been wonderful. Some of them have been like, whoop. Well, that was a dud, wasn't it? <laughs> okay? But we tried. We took the risk. Second piece uh, of application for you who are younger. This week, would you please, if you've got grandparents living, would you please talk to them and call them um, and ask them, Grandma, Grandpa, Nana, Papa, whatever you call them. Uh, my pastor gave me this silly homework and I'm supposed to ask you, like, do you have any regrets? And if so, you probably don't. But if you do, like, what are those and why do you have them that you can share with me? You might be surprised what they say. You might learn something. In fact, you should also ask the second question. What advice would you give someone who's just starting out in life? I would encourage you to take notes because what you might hear might be wisdom speaking to you in the voice of your grandma or grandpa, okay? So that's for younger people. Now, for those of us that are middle-aged, getting ready to shuffle off to the cruise ship with all the other old people in Florida, okay, <laughs> Stiffness is pre rigor mortis. <laughs> Just want to remind you, okay? Oh, that's what I tell myself getting out of the car. So, so, middle aged people, older people, what are the things that need to be said? And again, among the 100 plus year old category of people, one of the things they say, top five. I wish I had told Susan how I really felt about her, that I was so proud of her, that we were blessed to have her as a daughter. I just didn't tell her enough, okay? What are the things that you need to say that are good and true? Who are the people that you need to reach out to and make amends with? Um, today is a gift. It's an opportunity. You're here. Ding, today's, today's a good day. It's why in the Bible you hear the today when you hear his voice. Today. Repent, turn to him, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing, what needs to move from someday to an actual spot in the calendar? I know raising kids and paying bills and jobs and all this stuff, you just, you know, you go through life 
Jenny and I have a couple. Um, we made a decision a while back that dates together and day trips together were something we're, that we were no longer willing to tolerate as a someday item. And it it's occupies time in our calendar now. Um, even uh, just this Friday, we told the girls, we're gone again, good luck, you can make some eggs or whatever, see ya, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and we galloped off into the sunset. Um, and they're still living today, so it worked, okay? But the other thing that we've done is for us, uh, we would never get around to house projects. We would always talk about, well, we want to do this with the house or that with the house. And it would be a someday vague thing. And so now we've started chunking them off and putting them in the calendar and in the budget plan because we don't want it to just be a someday thing. We want it to actually happen. Last but not least, if you have kids, I want to remind you, this is why we give away marbles at baby dedications. We want you to visualize the time that you have with your children and make it count. And make it count for reasons of the relational connection. Parents are here to pass on a blessing of love and acceptance to their children. But parents are also helping kids discover who God is and how amazing he is, right? So there's this twofold thing that we do. But if you've got kids, we want you to visualize time, all right? Uh, and ways that you can make a priority. If your kids are young, bedtimes are golden. When they're older in teen years, those when you're in the car, turn off the radio or turn it down. You'll be surprised the conversations you can have just going from here to there and there to here. Um, and then uh, lastly, one-on-ones. Um, I have some one-on-ones that are set in my calendar, and I don't give those away to other people um, with my kids. So here's why this is important. My parents uh, loved uh, traveling, seeing things, um, and when my dad retired, they started taking day trips. And they would go to Madison, Indiana, and they would go to French Lick, and they would go to Gatlinburg, and they would go to Asheville, and they would go to Disney World. They love Disney World. And every time they went on a trip, it would be the same thing. The hotel beds are terrible, and we can't sleep. And, you know, they were supposed to be gone five days, and after the second day, they're back. And we're like, why are you back? Why are you here? The beds are terrible, and we can't sleep, and it's, uh. And so they did this for months and years. And then finally, in 2009, they were like, we have the money. And so they bought a house in Florida on the coast, and they remodeled the whole thing, put in hurricane-force windows, and they decided we're going to go to Disney World on our terms. And it was great. So they became snowbirds in the fall of 2009. And uh, they would go, they would sleep in, they would have a late brunch, they would drive to Disney World, and they would do the adult stuff. Apparently, there's adult things you can do there. I don't know. I've never gone as just an adult. I'll take their word for it. Um, and so they did the adult things you do at Disney World, like art studio and all this other stuff. And then they would come home in the mid-afternoon, having had their big day at Disney World, and, they, and it was great. Um, and so in January of 2010, I was down because I taught at the time for Asbury University. Asbury had a campus in Orlando. And I thought, oh, this is great. Mom and dad have a house in Melbourne. I'm going to save the department money. There's no hotel cost this time. I'll just stay with mom and dad and drive into Orlando to teach the class. And so I did that. Um, and the morning that I was going to leave on my flight, my dad says to me, you know, my stomach has been feeling off, and, you know, I went to the doctor, and, you know, he gave me this, you know, I can't pronounce the name of the medicine, but I, I don't know. And, and I remember saying to him, um, Dad, 
you've got Medicare, you've got supplemental, you've got assets. Like, if you don't think the doctor took you seriously, you've only been here three months, you don't have people yet, go into the ER and demand that they run tests and, you know, pay whatever, I mean, just for the peace of mind. And I got on the plane thinking, no big deal. And the next morning, the next morning, he called to say, I have a mass on my pancreas and I've got pancreatic cancer. And he died a year later. They got three months in Disney World. Three months, okay? Now, dad did some very things right. Relationships. I don't know if you know this, but from this life, there are only two things that are going to make it into the next life. People and the Word of God. People and the Word of God. And so when the Bible tells us to be wise, right, teach us to number our days so that we may grow in wisdom, there's a wisdom in how life should be lived. And when someone has lived life really well and loved the way Jesus commands us to love and embrace the kingdom values, when they have a funeral, what happens? It's a party and a celebration and people are telling all kinds of stories because ding, they succeeded, okay? So today, you have an opportunity. And I preach a sermon like this because preachers 150 years ago did not have to tell Americans, I don't know if you know this, but the mortality rate's 100%. Like Americans knew it. They lived on the farm. Animals were dying. People were dying. Kids were dying. The kid mortality rate was significantly higher 150 years ago. Death was a part of life. You didn't have to be told, but in America, we've kind of removed this off to hospitals and hospice, and we... And we think mistakenly, zoom, someday, I don't want you to someday, I want you to be intentional because I love you. And the Bible says to us, help me, God, teach me to number my days so that I may grow in wisdom. I want you to be wise and succeed at life.